Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 290. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Marvel Studios Secret Invasion episode 6, Home, directed by Ali Salim, written by Kyle Bradstreet and Brian Tucker. Secret Invasion was created for television by Kyle Bradstreet, and it is a Kevin Feige production. Before our review begins, want to let you know once again about Fan Show Plus. That is the podcast where we discuss extra MCU topics exclusively for premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is search for the MCU Fan Show channel or Fan Show Plus on Apple Podcasts and you can subscribe there to hear those episodes. Also, make sure you're following us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Twitter, Instagram, and threads. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference. So thanks so much to those of you who have already taken the time to share your review. And now, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I am uh, a little frustrated. Uh, not going to Secret Invasion invasion necessarily right now, but mainly because I cannot get this glue on my uh, uh, vintage-looking Boba Fett Funko that I broke off, the little gun part. And I've been trying to glue it on since we started recording, <laughs> and I'm about to throw this thing across the floor. I'm not good with small things that glue! So uh, anyway, I'm a little I'm down, a little peeved. Now, but besides that, I'm doing fantastic. But... Uh, I gotta tell you, uh, this is gonna be <laughs> this is gonna be an interesting show. A I very think so. interesting show. <laughs> I I can already tell just based on some of you who were kind enough to reach out on our socials that um, yeah, this is one of the more eagerly anticipated episodes of MCU Fan Show, and I think it's driven largely by what transpired in this spoiler review or in Marvel Studios Secret Invasion in the finale. I don't know, season, series, I think it says season finale. I don't really anticipate a season two of this show, given Marvel Studios slowing down uh, in general, not just for Disney+, Plus, but certainly including Disney+, Plus original series, so who knows. But this is what we have as the conclusion to this story, and I don't think it really, It's I don't know if it's really news to anyone listening to this by now. I think most people are well aware that the response to this finale has not been all that positive. And I can't really say, if you're looking for the podcast or the review that's going to just go against the current, go against the grain and whatever other analogy I can offer to say that, no, this is actually good and here's why. Well, maybe Paul's going to help you out. I have no idea what Paul thinks of this episode. I definitely am not going to help you out on that and... I like to reiterate this. I think it's worth pointing out because I know it's it's in the name of the podcast. It's the fan show. We are obviously fans of the MCU, but we also fancy ourselves as, I don't know, amateur critics of this stuff. And we certainly (laughs) offer our critiques. And look, it doesn't mean anything to say that things are good when you also can never call out if you think things are bad or you think things are not quite so good. And, And so... All we can do in the same way that we offer praise if we have criticism, all we can do is offer our honest assessments of these things. And so that's really all that we can do. And in that sense, just that reminder, if what you are looking for is just 
universal praise of everything Marvel Studios does, including this episode of Secret Invasion. This will not be the episode for you. But I think that there is a lot of frustration amongst the fandom and even more casual viewers and whoever else has been watching Secret Invasion. There's a lot of frustration that's out there with this finale, not just because of what happens in this story, but what it might be suggesting about previous stories from Marvel Studios that are beloved and previous interactions with certain characters. We will definitely dive into that as we go through this spoiler review when we get to those moments, as we tend to go through these episodes moment by moment. But um, yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of this episode. I'll just say it up front. And mm. I, this comes from somebody who you can go back, you can check the tape. They're recorded. I'm not going back and editing them and reposting them. I'm not. Revi- awesome if you did. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not revising my own history here. You can go back and you can look at what I was saying or what we were saying about those first three episodes and how much yeah. we were really enjoying the show. And you know, and then of course, progressively from one week to the next, things just kind of started to not look so hot, and we were wondering what would happen with this finale. And you know, I expressed some concerns last week about the finale. I wasn't even concerned about the wrong, the right things uh, in terms of just where this finale went. Maybe some of those things, but in any event, we were fans of this show. Uh, speaking just for myself right now, I was definitely a fan of this show. I was on board in the early going, all the way, made it through the halfway point, and more than the halfway point, if you count the runtime of each episode, as a big fan of Secret Invasion and what they seem to be going for with this series. I don't really feel like they ultimately lived up to or really honored the story that they were originally telling as they built towards this finale, and then, of course, this finale itself. I feel really, I I feel a little silly right now because we talked about how this was after the first three episodes. This had a chance, not saying that obviously we knew we had to see the rest of the series, but we were saying things like this could maybe be not WandaVision level, but maybe the best Marvel Studios series and most complete Marvel Studios series since WandaVision. Well, turns out that the only thing this series really had in common with WandaVision was making it up as we go along, but not in a good way, like WandaVision did with that wonderful song. I did not like this finale, Paul, and uh, I will spend some time explaining why. But I also have no idea what you think about this finale. Because this would not be, if it were to happen, which I have no idea, because we have not talked about it before this recording. We have not. It would not be the first time that I really did not like something, and then it turned out you enjoyed it. Or even if Mm -hmm. a lot of the world did not like something, and it turned out... (laughs) That Paul was able to, against all odds, find a way to enjoy it and articulate as such. And so I really Uh-oh. do not know what you think of this episode. I think that it is a complete misfire from Marvel Studios on a level that I just never would have expected um, from, from this group that is responsible for so many wonderful stories, including Disney Plus series. I'll just quickly throw that out before I go to Paul. I'm not, this is not here for the the Marvel pile on. This is not here saying that it's been a problem all along with the Disney Plus series and and they've been bad the whole time. No, they haven't. At least I've never felt that way. Check the tape again on all all the things I said about the previous series and the various episodes of those series. I think Marvel Studios has done, for the most part, an excellent job with these series, with things ranging from just the, the peaks of stuff like WandaVision and how amazing that was to really solid and fun series like Hawkeye 
which I think is maybe even beyond solid or Miss Marvel. And I even liked a lot of Moon Knight. So I, this is not some trend for me of not liking what Marvel Studios has been doing on Disney Plus. For the most part, I've absolutely loved what they've done on Disney Plus, including the first three episodes of this series. And then, yeah, fell off a little bit in episodes four and five, but nothing would have prepared me for this finale. I'm, I'm genuinely surprised that this was something that, you know, even got to be approved to be put out there, although maybe it was it was all they had and the, the best they could do. But, yeah, I'm not a fan at all of this finale. Wow. Um, all right. So with all that said, I'm just going to go ahead and say I didn't hate it as much as everyone else did. I, and, and you know, I didn't watch it until literally about an hour ago. Part of the reason was because I was scared to, because everyone was dogpiling on it. And, and listen, like I, people don't influence me completely with this stuff, but, it, but you can't help it when it, it goes into your mindset. When you look at, when you watch something, it's impossible. Unless you watch it right off the bat, you ignore social media, which I try to do a lot of times. But with, with Secret Invasion, just I just you know last couple episodes, I was you know I've checked the tape as Sean would say. I've been not loving the last two episodes. It feels been dragging a little bit, and so I just and after you know I was gonna watch it that night on Wednesday after my brother and I watched Quarterbacks, uh, Sean. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna watch it, and then I everyone's just dogpiling on it. And I said, you know I think I'm gonna wait, <laughs> you know, and I just kept pushing you know pushing it out, pushing it out, and. Finally, I'm like, I gotta watch this thing. Uh, so I, you know, chronicled it on uh, Twitter here, and you know, I don't know, maybe if my expectations were so like to in the dog crap pile. Yeah, that, that's like, what I was gonna I, ask. If you hear for a few days that yeah. something is like <laughs> the worst thing ever, then it, it it's only natural that it become a little bit easier to be like, well, that wasn't that bad, but I don't know. I, yeah, I, I I think that partly. But is it had the case. stuff in there that I knew you would dig. So like, See, I'm not... yeah, I, you told me that. Yeah, <laughs> you. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. But but here's but here's what I'm gonna say. I think I, because I I honestly, I don't even know what you. To be honest, I don't even know how much you what you don't like about it besides the roadie thing. I think which we'll talk. We'll definitely talk a lot. No, about. the, the roadie thing is. I'll put it this way: I'm not as concerned about the roadie thing. Yeah, as either. everybody else. I don't know that we need to be concerned about the roadie thing yet. Um, yeah. That said, I will, will of course, address the implications, but uh, I'll just say up front, I don't consider a generic hospital gown to be definitive proof of literally anything. So I'm not, yep. you know, w which we'll get to in, in more detail. But yeah, the yeah. roadie thing, because it's so intentionally not definitive, I would not say at all that that's the the worst thing about this. I, I think that there are things that got totally shortchanged. If I go back and I certainly look at some of the, the things that you and I were anticipating, because maybe before we discuss what's there, maybe it's easier sure. to discuss what's not there. And it was sure. some of the things that you and I were talking about as, and I don't say not there, meaning for no reason at all, you know, this is not like a Mephisto didn't show up in WandaVision situation where fans were making up stuff in their own heads about reasons why this had to be there. We're just talking about character development and narrative. And so the stuff we talked about, the personal history between Nick Fury and Gravik, that was never really expanded on in any meaningful way. And we didn't even get that in the finale because Fury and Gravik don't even actually interact in this finale. 
Um, and so like that's just not a good payoff. It's a surprise, but it's not a good emotional payoff to stuff that they were developing throughout. Nick Fury on this journey of why was he up in space for all those years? Why did he go back even after the blip and he wanted he ha- there was a wife at home waiting for him whom he supposedly loved so much. What what was this deep-seated reason? What was this crisis of faith that Nick Fury had for going up in space for a bunch of years and then fi- and then coming back down? Uh, coming back, we knew, okay, it was personal for coming back down for Gravik, but why stay up there all that time and leave the rest of his life behind? And we got allusions to it, but we never really got there. We never really got that scene. We never really got that moment. And so these are payoffs that should be there in just the basics of the storytelling. If you're going to introduce that there's some, if you're going to point us in the direction of there's a history between Gravik and Fury, there's Fury's own history of why he was up in space all that time. If you're going to point the audience in that direction, then eventually you should take them there. The story should take them there. And it just felt like this series dropped some of its narrative threads and its character threads and all and it just let those things fall off and just moved in this other direction to have a super scroll showdown um and i know that there's going to be uh obviously a lot of things that i'll say about this where um i have a lot of criticism of of this including the ones i just shared one person i i don't want to criticize about this and i i want to be clear on the place that i'm coming from like I've never worked on a Marvel Studios production, but I have worked on and do work on productions. And so I have a tremendous amount of respect for the level of talent that goes into this, for the level, the amount of work that goes into this. I have some understanding, some idea of how hard people work on these projects to literally make anything that we get to see. And so I have a tremendous amount of respect for that. Um, And so it's not, I don't think any of these things are the product of laziness. I don't necessarily think these are the product of a lack of thought or being careless. Sometimes, just for whatever reason, things don't work out and we have to go ahead and assess the result. One person I do want to shout out in this who did, I think, the absolute best and most marvelous job that anybody could have on this episode was the editor. Pete Baudreau is the person who edited this, and that... Pete deserves a shout out because I think the editing was working overtime to build a lot of tension that otherwise just wasn't there. And a lot of the tension that was introduced just for the sake of, in very in a very sudden way, just for the sake of this finale. And the editing job on that for the pacing of this finale worked very, very well. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough to overcome the lack of story that was there and the lack of character development, the lack of payoff to other things that had happened throughout this series. So there's my one universally positive shout out was the editing (laughs) in this episode was very well done to get the absolute most out of it. Well, and I want to say that I I knew that was going to be probably the biggest thing for people was that, and I think that's probably my, one of the reasons why I don't love this episode is that this episode basically, like you said, it does a, a great job in those first three episodes of going into a different feel and that whole conspiracy theory, like uh, storyline and uh, themes and uh, <clears throat> style. And and you also get kind of deeper into like Nick Fury and you, you do some awesome reveals. And, and I, 
and I, I hate to say it, but I don't, myself, I definitely did some of that Mephisto speculation, if you will, a little bit, because it, I felt it was very much, you know, unlike Mephisto, where like everyone wants it to happen. I really felt they really were were hanging on and putting some things out there, establishing that like Gravik and Fury have a very, you know, a unique relationship. They have a history. The whole wife angle, like all these things are there. I'm like, man, like. Why was he up in space? Like these are all things that like are valuable to the story. Yeah, that they're that they're pushing. It's and not they just... suggested those things were there. The, exactly. The story kept mm-hmm. suggesting there was more to know, and then it turns out apparently there wasn't, or we just don't yeah. get to know it. Yeah, and it, and I think that's my biggest disappointment with the season finale. We'll get to the the meat and the potatoes of it in a second, but I definitely think it's like if you want to use the, the dinner analogy a little bit more, it's like the, it's you know the meat and potatoes, but they don't give us the meat. They gave us like a sliver of like ham that's like super thin, and it's like here you go. There's a little bit of that. It's like eh, that's not really a lot of meat, um, and that's the problem. Is that for me they did they did a great job of setting up the series, and then they'll. It, Again, going back to that decompression, it felt like this felt like a movie that just like they just stretched out as far as they could and then went, OK, you know, and it it felt like they could have done this in a, in a very shorter time, a shorter time if they wanted to go this route, that, that route with Gravik specifically. And I think because of that, the series suffered because mm-hmm. there was so much stalling or not stalling, but so much pain. Um, meandering that's probably i would say a little more meandering than than they really needed to like the talos and nick fury thing they went on a couple adventures together and it's like do they really need they didn't really it seems meaningless to me at this point you know i mean and it it shouldn't have been like exactly if you're going to give those things that level of emphasis in these episodes in the first few episodes then stay on that track like you're putting us on this you're putting us on one track and then you're just moving over to another one. In fact, but you're not even moving us onto another track. It's, it's like just mm-hmm. uh, there's a flash and all of a sudden we're on this other track. So we have no, we don't know how we got from this one direction to another one. I generally am of the mind that we pay way too much attention to run times and, and all of that stuff because yeah. as I've long mm-hmm. said, I don't actually care about the runtime. It's just a number. And until I've actually seen the story, it's an arbitrary number. Like, I don't know anything. It doesn't indicate anything about a story or what we're going to get or how much weight it can carry and all of those things. Because, look, that's... I just go even off of movies, right? There are three-hour movies that can feel like 90 minutes and there are 90-minute movies that can feel like three hours. That's just the way that it can go. My main thing is the runtime should be as long as it needs to be and and hopefully not too much longer. Like that's it needs to be whatever it needs to be to tell the story. But I do think somewhere along the lines, there was maybe some shift in this story and maybe some shift in the idea of what this story needed to be or what the story ought to be or or whatever they thought the audience was going to respond to more. Or I, I don't really know, but the last three episodes play very, very differently than the first three episodes. And they also are much shorter than the first three episodes. And so I remember thinking, uh, going back to when I watched it, and I watched this first thing at like 5.30 a.m. on Wednesday morning. I guess not first thing. I didn't stay up and watch it at midnight, but I watched it right away. 
and I had no idea what people were saying about it. I didn't start scrolling through Twitter or anything like that or X or whatever. Um, I didn't start scrolling through anything. I was just uh, I just watched it right away. And then I was like, I know I did not like that at all. And then I saw the chorus uh, along with that. I, I really I didn't know. I thought people maybe were going to love it and I was going to be the odd one out. But that's not the way uh, that it went down. But I think in terms of the the runtime, though, and what I remember feeling about that is thinking last week about just how much this finale needed to accomplish because because episode four and episode five had left some things from episode, the first three episodes hanging. I thought, okay, we're going to have to address things that have come up in four and five. We're going to have to circle back to some of the stuff that happened in episodes one through three and pay all of those things off in this finale. And then I, as soon as I clicked on Disney Plus and I saw the episode runtime of like 37 minutes or whatever it was, like, well, we're not going to be crossing everything off the list because that's definitely not enough time. And then I watched the finale and, and it was what it was. But as I said, it's it is very different than the Mephisto situation because this isn't us inventing clues and tracking down, you know, parsing through every shot for the tiniest Easter egg that could make it look like it, where we could say that it kind of looks like that thing that we're kind of hoping it would be. And then WandaVision comes in and says, no, it's none of those things. It's actually this really great story that's even better than the stuff that maybe you were hoping for, even if it doesn't have Mephisto. Secret Invasion, these were character moments and these were narrative threads that were introduced that we were pointed to as an audience. And then ultimately we were not taken there. And I do think that is a very different thing. That's not just fan wishes going unfulfilled. That is actual story elements being in plot lines and character line and uh, character arcs being unfulfilled. And that's a very different thing. And that's why I think the criticism of this finale is well warranted. Well, and I think that you bring up a great point that runtime shouldn't matter. And we, and we don't, and we both have, have preached the same thing. I preached it about Star Wars, especially and I said, let 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 the let the creators have the run times the way they wanted to, right? And it, for the most part, it seems like that's the case. But but you go back to it looks like you know with Andor or some of these other things. In my opinion, it feels like the Disney's like, no, you need to make six episodes. This is what it's going to be, you know, at this point right now. And it's a little, it's it, it's very obvious to me. And I think Secret Invasion is another great example of how that's really I think hurting a lot of these Marvel projects, because I think that naturally these projects, not all of them, but I'd say a good portion of them probably could just be films. And they probably be, even though like we always want when, when a movie is really good, Sean, a lot of us will say, and I've been, I've said this before in the past and, and it would say sometimes, you know, for the most part or not most part, but sometimes I'd say, I want more of that. I want more of what they gave me in that movie. I want more of that. I would love it. If that movie was a series, right? Well, you know, since we've gotten these like in Star Wars and Marvel and other things, I'm starting to think, you know, maybe the movie medium is actually a good thing. Because I see. I, I disagree with it because I and you're not the only one I've, I've heard say that in terms of Secret Invasion would have maybe this was one that would have played better as a movie. I actually think this is an example of why it needed to be a series, because if you add up the run times of the first three episodes, that's basically a movie or you're almost already at feature length. And I was on board with everything that they had given us up until that point and knowing that there was a lot more that needed to a lot more story that needed to be told. So it needed to be a series. They just needed to complete the series. They needed to complete the series that they made 
in the first three episodes. That's what I feel like they needed to do and, and didn't quite accomplish, at least not in a way that that I found satisfying. And so I think the last three episodes are definitely a movie because they just breeze by. But I feel like this one earned the right to be a series for the first three episodes and then somehow lost that right in the, mm. I mean, it doesn't, it's not a right, it is what it is, it is a series, but it lost that going into, uh, over the course of the the final three. But anyway, we'll, might as well start getting into specific sure. moments in this uh, in this finale since we're, all, we're getting close to 25 minutes into this episode. But uh, we may not be as good at going in order this week, uh, and, and hopefully you'll forgive us for that because obviously there's a lot of things happening, or not that many things happening, but uh, a lot of cross-cutting between two scenes. But anyway, I'll start with the, the cold open. Vara is on her way out, although she never actually leaves or goes anywhere. We see her back at the house later when everything's okay. Uh, but Vara now is is not going to stay in the house and, and die in her happiness. It looks like she's planning to take off. Gets a call from Nick Fury, and nobody's really saying anything. Fury's just kind of checking in. Apparently, he dials this number all the time, but this is the first time he's ever hit send. And so uh, when Fury's off to go on the the final mission for this, says, I'll let you go now. And she says, you don't have to if you don't want to. And then it's a take care of yourself. And we're kind of off and running. And, and Fury is going to go to, or not Fury, is going to go to New Skrullos. So the cold, this, uh, this opening between, not really a cold open, this opening between Fury and Vara slash Priscilla, it was fine. It's a, it's a check-in. And what I will say about this one is this is the one plot thread that they actually do want to see through in this is they want to continue on with the Fury and Vara love story, which I, I to give credit where it's due, at least the finale holds on to one plot thread and sees it through all the way to the end, which of course we'll get to as, as more things happen. But um, as we see, we we got the check in with Fury and uh, and Vara and then we get a check-in with Rava Rhodey and the president. Rhodey's still trying to convince the president to launch his attack on New Skrullos in Russia. Not everyone is on board. We see a, a general with a dissenting opinion. Um, but Rhodey has already prepared remarks for the president to give a speech about firing a missile strike in on Russian soil. And the president, like, I love how President Ritson is, I mean, I guess Dermot Mulroney is the actor here is doing a little bit of a huh, but that's a red flag, man. Like why, <laughs> if you know that scrolls exist, I don't know. Like, so now Fury or Rhodey as a Colonel is writing, is a speech writer, a presidential speech writer. I don't know. I mean, I understand the move by Rava Rhodey to try and get the process, get the, uh, get things moving. Cause obviously under orders from Gravik, but that was still just kind of weird that the president didn't really have enough of a reaction to that. But that's really such a small thing. Um, in this episode, so I don't think we need to spend any more time on it. Paul, we're going to, instead of going exactly in order, there's two main sequences in this episode. There is the new Skrullos sequence that results in the super-duper scroll fight, and then there is uh, what's happening between uh, Ro between Rava Rhodey, the president, Sonia Fallsworth, and the actual Nick Fury. We'll focus on the hospital stuff second. Let's start with new scrollos and we'll carry that through all the way to the end of the super duper scroll confrontation so mm -hmm. what we see is fury putting on 
uh, a really good show or not Fury putting on a good show because, of course, humans are not supposed to be able to withstand the radiation there at New Skrullos. I've seen some criticism of this. I am fine with this of saying, well, if it's not really Fury, then Gaia is fine, doesn't need to be coughing and stumbling and all of those things. I would say that Gaia knows Gravik well enough to be paranoid that Gravik could have cameras and be watching and be aware of it. So if Gaia Fury is walking through New Skrullos with absolutely no issues whatsoever, then that's probably an indication to Gravik that something is up. So I am fine with the performance of pretending to be human and pretending to struggle with the radiation I don't have any issues with that. And then Not Fury uh, meets Gravik at the Super Scroll machine. Um, Gravik informs that everybody else at New Scrollos has been locked away, so there won't be any more uprisings, as we saw Gravik deal with in a previous episode. And then we get Gravik speaking his truth. And this scene would be really good if it meant a little more than it gets to because of the dynamics of this. When and Kingsley Benadir is he's there in terms of his portrayal, his performance, very good in the scene, talking about where that face came from. It was the first human that Gravik ever killed because Fury told him to. He killed so many more for Nick Fury, and they all took a piece of his heart. That's how that's how Gravik became, according to Gravik, that's how he became the person that he is and feels like Fury turned uh, the war people of the Skrulls into a band of beggars, and Talos went along with it. So Gravik is saying that, that Fury is the one who did this. Everything that he has done, everything that he's about to do to bring about the, extension of, the extinction of humanity, this is all Fury's fault, with Gravik saying, they were condemned to die the moment I realized you weren't a man of your word. And then we get not Fury... Uh, talking to Gravik, saying that he knew, uh, that Fury knew after a few years that he couldn't find the scrolls a new home, knew that he had to build a home on Earth, but he didn't because it was easier to save people's lives than change their hearts and minds, those being the 8 billion people on Earth. And the last thing that Fury felt before he was dusted in the blip was relief uh, because he didn't have to fight anymore. But Fury feels like he let Gravik down as a young scroll who was on his team under his care. Fear, not Fury, saying because he failed them, the Skrulls, he's going to give Gravik what he wants, that being the harvest. The deal from Not Fury, though, is that Gravik needs to leave Earth, pick another planet. If he wants to use the harvest to get the Skrulls a new home, he can choose any new home but Earth. Obviously, Gravik doesn't take that deal, just gets the harvest anyway. We'll talk about the harvest and everything in just a moment. Uh, but, Paul, let's start with this initial confrontation and this initial conversation between Gravik and not Fury. The, I'll take the Gravik side of it first. I, I liked this speech from Gravik. I was happy with this monologue and this character getting a chance to express himself. I think it's working overtime to try and add history and add context that the story didn't actually show us. And I kind of wish it had taken the time to show us with flashback scenes and stuff that we had talked about as opposed to just a couple speeches here and there that that give us uh, this context. I think it's always it's generally more effective to see the context than be told the context. Um, and I still feel like there's more to it than that of how it became so personal and and all of those things. Like I still feel like it it needed we needed more from it on on Gravik's side. But 
What also undercuts this entire scene is that Gravik isn't even actually talking to Nick Fury. I mean, he believes he is when he says all of these things, but it does undercut the emotion of that of that scene to be like, well, Gravik's not even actually getting to talk to Fury. And you could say that's the ultimate revenge of Fury is that Gravik doesn't even ultimately get to feel like he was heard by Nick Fury. But I still don't buy that as making it satisfying as an audience member. So um, really good speech, uh, very well acted by Kingsley Benadir. But because it doesn't ultimately, it's not heard by the person who needs to hear it, who should hear it, it ultimately falls, uh, it, it ends up falling a little bit flat. Like it ends up feeling, it doesn't have the, the same level of meaning that it should. And so I, I think yeah. that is, that's really where, that's the flaw in the scene. Great, great writing, great uh, of the speech, great performance by the actor, but just the circumstances of of how they put together this this plot for Fury and Gaia at the end of this for the finale, it ultimately re removes a lot of the meaning for what Gravik is saying and him being so his personal history with Fury, in addition to his philosophical points, that are part of what made Gravik so interesting as an antagonist, and they use that yeah. to build up Gravik and make him more interesting in the story. But I don't feel they pay that off with the way they engineered this finale. Yeah, I think as soon as this scene happened, which, by the way, when like Fury is like, ugh, ugh, I'm like, oh, that's obviously not him. That's just not Fury. I, I just knew it off the bat. Maybe it was obvious. I don't know. It just shows but, that people are really bad at playing Nick Fury because Talos yeah. was extra Nick Fury in Spider-Man Far From Home. And Gaia <laughs> is extra, you know, sick radiation poisoned human uh yeah. in this one so they're just dramatic yeah, yeah scrolls tend to scrolls tend to be yeah. over actors when it comes to playing fury that's fair that's fair i i i as soon as you know gravic which i think you know benadir did a great job with what he was given he did i think he elevated 100 elevated the material because i actually liked him still as a character yeah um because of i um, loved the scene until i found out he wasn't talking to fury that's fair and you know i because I didn't think I knew it wasn't Fury the way they're just overemphasizing like why he's there and he's going to give him the, you know, the whatever that is, the vial. And I'm like, oh, OK, the harvest. And I'm like, oh, OK, it's obviously probably because I, I, I won't lie. I, I, I try to avoid spoilers. Someone sent me something. So I knew they're going to fight. And I was like, OK, they're going to fight. I'm like, oh, this is guy. I get it. OK, cool. You know, like, I you know, whatever. Um, So. But yeah, but I thought, you know, I knew already knew it wasn't it wasn't Fury, but I did like the reveal a little bit. But I, but like you said, Sean, I immediately knew where you I think or I knew I thought where you were coming from with why you didn't like this episode because that whole scene, because they built up this relationship between the two of them. Right. And it just it doesn't really go anywhere. It's just like you told me to kill someone and I took their face. Now I'm going to throw it back at you, you piece of crap. And it's like, what? Like, I mean, like, I don't know. It's just, we don't see it. And because he's not talking to Fury, Fury can't really respond to that because and, and be accountable for what he's done. I because mean, he, a flashback yeah. scene of a young Gravik killing yeah. this guy does way more than him just saying this was the face of the first person I killed. When we have oh, to, oh, yeah. when we have mm -hmm. to see the, I mean, and who knows how young Gravik would have been by the time that actually sure. happened. But that says a lot more, shows us more about how Gravik is affected. And it's not taking anything away from Kingsley Benadir as an actor who did an amazing no, job with this speech. But job. there's still only so much that you can talk over not showing something. And so I, well, I think we yeah. I think we saw some of the limits of that in this. 
But you built it up with the fact they already had flashbacks. So it's, you've already right. established that you, you've done that. Yeah, like, we were doing flashbacks for the first three episodes, and then we just stopped doing them. Yeah, and so it's that's where I think where, I, you know, I... And to, for the record, I think I like this way more than most people. But I this is where I would 100% understand the frustration, especially when you've just meandered for, uh, you know, three episodes, two episodes before this. You could have easily have shown some flashback, which you've already established with, you know, 90s Nick Fury and his awesome, you know, hair, you know, and, and everything. And maybe and again, I have more personal attachment with this guy because it felt like it was there. Again, that's the impression that I the projection that I put onto it when they were giving it to me and established the fact that like this guy, he really messed up this kid. And that, like, that, you know, his wife brings to him or his future wife brings to him into the circle. And so with that, and you see, you know, and again, Benadir does a great job of, of establishing how much it affected him. And that was the start of him hating Nick Fury and Talos and going the route he did. And in, and you could have made that the first opening of the movie or the movie of the show, and you, you probably would have made a much bigger impact on a lot of people. I don't think it would have fixed a lot of people's problems with it, to be honest. Um, but it probably would have helped a little bit. Or at least in the previous two episodes, which I think you, again, you meandered enough on a train and all this other stuff. Let's put some more development between Fury and and, and, uh, and Gravik. So uh, this is where I, I was. I liked, I liked the monologue. It was perfect. But it definitely felt with the extra Nick Fury, it just it felt like let's wrap this up, and that's where I knew I'm like okay, this is yeah. it, this is where it's not it kind of goes away arrive for people, and that's 100% understandable. Right, you treat this conflict as personal between Fury and Gravik, and then the height of that, the climax of that conflict, Fury's not even there. Like it's it's hard to present that in a way that's satisfying, I think. And and if you were happy with that, I'm not trying to take it away from you. Just explain why it wasn't satisfying for me. And then maybe I have something in common there with a lot of other folks. And, and I appreciate, and they have Gaia recap it during the fight. And I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but she says, you killed my mother, you killed my father. I understand that Gaia had her own personal stakes uh, against Gravik. I get that. The problem is, I didn't see enough of that as the audience member. I'm told off screen that Gravik had something, you know, somewhere along between the last time I saw these characters and now um, Gravik was responsible for Soren's death. How, why, when exactly? I, I don't know. They, they don't go into that. And even since even since Talos died, which we see his death, we barely spend any time with Gaia after that. And so... The I, while I appreciate that the conflict with Gravik was personal for both Fury and Gaia, the story gave us all the focus on Fury and not so much Gaia. So that's what leads me into, as an audience member, wanting the resolution to be Fury and Gravik and not Gaia and Gravik. That's just the way because that's the way the story treated it. If they had fleshed out Gaia and she had had a larger role in this show, a larger presence in this show, where most of the time she's just kind of popping in and then she's gone. So if she had a more a larger role over the course of this series, then this move in the finale could have been more satisfying. But they didn't give it that level, that type of setup. So that's why it doesn't play in my mind anyway. That's why it doesn't play as well as, as it otherwise could have and why it would have been the story they presented us would have been better served by having Fury 
uh, be the one to confront Gravik. And I know that would have been hard to do on New Skrullos, but there would have been ways to write around that, and they would have had they would have had ways to cover it. But that's not the direction that they went. And speaking of Gaia slash not Fury, it opens up questions about this scene, right? Whatever Fury confesses to Gravik, is this real? Is this stuff that Fury told Gaia to say to Gravik, like give him this because it's true, and I I want him to hear it. Or is it because Gaia, in order to play the part of Nick Fury, was able to convince Fury to allow her to take enough of his memories? Or is Gaia just totally making this up on her own? I don't know because they don't tell us. I don't know because this is so disconnected from anything else that's been going on. So when Fury says things to Gravik about how Fury knew after a few years that he couldn't find the scrolls a new home... There are implications with that. Like, it's not just a thing where you can have, is that true? Because if it is, that's a major deal that Nick Fury, after it's been, we're told that this has been an ongoing issue for 30 years, but for the vast majority of that time, according to what Gaia, as Fury says, Fury knew that he couldn't actually deliver and he didn't actually believe, ever believe he was going to be able to build a new home. And so he was never going to be able to build him a new home on work. It, it wasn't going to work because he didn't, on Earth, he didn't believe that people, again, he couldn't change the hearts and minds of people. It was easier to save them. Well, what about the scrolls? So is it true? Because that's worth knowing. That's a question worth getting an answer to. Did Fury really know? Had he already given up on the idea of finding the scrolls a new home on Earth or elsewhere in space? That he gave, did he really give up just a few years? Because that's a real problem. That's a real problem on two fronts for me, probably more than two, but I'll stick with two for now. One is that it seems completely ridiculous that given the vast nature of space, that Fury would give up after just a couple of years. Because the scrolls already had, in the Kree and everything else, they already had interstellar travel mastered. It's not like Fury had to come up with that. They had the ability to move around, as we see at the end of Captain Marvel. So how, in just a few years, is Fury ready to give up? That just doesn't make sense to me. And the other part that doesn't make... Well, I guess you could say it's it's a deceptive Nick Fury move, but it's a very ethically complex and, and morally... Not so justifiable, not so justifiable move because Fury, it's not like Fury stopped using the scrolls. It's not like after a few years he said, you know what, deals off. I can't find you a new home, but you can make the best of your situation here on Earth. No, Fury continued to use them while also not finding, while also knowing that he wasn't actually searching. He wasn't actually holding up his end of the deal. So for most of the time that this deal has been in place, Fury has been deceiving the scrolls while continuing to use them and put them in danger and have them take lives on his orders and all of that. Is that true? Because if it is, that's one of the worst things we've ever heard Nick Fury do in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's the worst thing that we've heard about Nick Fury doing in the MCU. You have to consider the choices of those characters. So if you're going to put that idea out there, it's a good idea to also couple that with was that true, or was Gaia just saying certain things to provoke Gravik or whatever? I don't know, because they don't let us in on any of that. So I can't say that I am for sure upset about that and what it means for Nick Fury. I don't know what it means, but I should, if they want to have this stuff be, be in there, be part of the episode, 
is this supposed to have meaning or not? Because it's being played like it's supposed to have meaning up until we have to question everything because, you know, Gaia catches a fist and we get the reveal that that wasn't actually Nick Fury. But it still undercuts. It takes what should be this meaningful scene between these two characters and it removes that meaning uh, from Gravik's perspective, from Fury slash Gaia's perspective, and it leaves me not really knowing what to think about these characters. And while I appreciate moral and ethical complexity, I don't think that's what they actually got here, what they actually achieved here. I think what they just achieved was confusion on what exactly Gaia said, on what it actually means in terms of how true it is, the things that Gaia said, and then Gravik ultimately not getting a chance to be heard by the one person that he's been, whose attention he's been trying, clearly trying to get throughout this entire series. Yeah, I, I, you're, you nailed it right there. I honestly do. I, I, I think that the, I think the actors did what they could with the material. They just went. It just feels like you. To me, it feels that like they just they try to cram it all at the end when they could have done a better job of setting it up after those three episodes. But for whatever reason, they they focused on really different. You know, they focused on Fury and and Priscilla's relationship, and I think that's I think that was mostly good. The problem is, is that it just with Talos and trying to wrap that up and, and give that some meaning and and also bring up Gaia, they've sacrificed a lot when they probably could have easily just condensed a little bit more of those other things in. And maybe, yeah, yeah, I have a lot more to say about this, but we'll 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 move on to the next part. Well, we're going to talk about uh, some super duper scrolls now. So after this All conversation, right. we get the harvest being given to Gravik, and uh, again, the deal is leave Earth alone. But obviously, Gravik is not interested in making a deal. Already has the harvest tested out, and we see the names of a lot of the powers that we are about to see. Now, before we were told that this is that this is about people having their who bled during the Battle of Earth and Avengers Endgame. But we do have a couple characters who weren't there when we actually go through uh, the list of names. And, and yeah, I did take time to, to type some of them out. I don't, I don't know if I got all of them, but I'm sure somebody else has a more complete list somewhere else. But there were a couple characters that stand out like Ghost and Abomination. As far as we know, they were not present for the final battle in Avengers Endgame. But Given that uh, Blonsky was incarcerated for so long, also Ghost with her own uh, history, suffice to say, Fury and or S.H.I.E.L.D. and or whatever other organizations Fury's been a part of could have got a hold of their DNA and uh, some by some other method, some other time, some other place, and they were ultimately uh, added to the harvest where most of it came from the Battle of Earth and Endgame. But the names that we see and which match up with some of the powers that we eventually see Ghost, Captain America, Corvus Glaive, Thanos, Outrider, which is one of the little aliens that uh, they never call. I don't think they ever actually called them that in Infinity War Endgame, but that's what they are um, in uh, Infinity War and Endgame. Thanos is scary alien monsters. Um, and then Proxima Midnight, Captain Marvel, Abomination, Mantis, Cull Obsidian, um, Drax, Korg, Ebony Maw, Frost Beast, Hulk, Ch Chitari, Valkyrie, Thor Odinson, Gamora, Flora Colossus, a.k.a. Groot, and then the Winter Soldier. And then uh, Gravik starts up the machine while Fury is still in there. And as Grav as Super Duper Scroll, Gravik gets his uh, starts his assault on Fury. Then we ultimately see Fury uh, catching his fist, and that's the and then punches Gravik up into the sky. And that is the reveal that it is not Nick Fury; it is in fact Gaia, 
who is a super duper scroll of her own right, or as we can also call her Captain Marvel Plus, that is who is going to have this final fight with Gravik. And she does get to explain her stakes. Uh, I was talking about how Gravik killed her mom and her dad while also flexing her tiny little Drax arm. And then uh, we get the, uh, as far as this battle, look, the, the CG Super Scroll battle looked cool. The use of the powers looked cool. I thought that uh, Gravik and kind of a, a hulking scroll mode looked cool. And then when he's part group, part Colobsidian, part Abomination, whatever, it looked good. I, I have no problem with the the powers or the fight or anything like that. Although I would say that it's just odd um, that I saw uh, Richard Newby talk about this, not about this specific scene um, of the Hollywood Reporter uh, tweeting about this. And I very much agree that in some ways, and, and I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but a, a lot of this, you, you look at what Marvel Studios did with their previous Disney Plus series and the stuff they kind of called out in the She-Hulk finale. And then they just go and do that in the Secret Invasion finale where we have the spy thriller, but ultimately it boils, the big climactic scene just boils down to two uh, as I said, Captain Marvel plus Super Scrolls battling it out with one another and using all the different powers that we've seen of the MCU. I don't know, like usually for Super Scrolls in the comics, and correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, it's not this many powers that uh, <laughs> they get all at once. And so it's just giving them a complete grab bag of MCU powers. And as I know on paper, it sounds like it could be a lot of fun, but it ultimately kind of makes them too powerful to where I, I don't even buy like how and why Gaia was able to defeat Gravik. I mean, they were equally matched up in terms of powers, so I, I don't really know, but they just needed they wanted to have Super Scrolls, but they couldn't have an evil Super Scroll with this much power roaming around mm -hmm. in the MCU because it's Captain Marvel plus Thanos plus a bunch of others. I, I don't know. So, yes, it looked cool, but from a storytelling perspective, I don't know. It didn't really move the needle for me in any kind of way. I was almost rolling my eyes at it, just thinking, like, what are mm. we what are we doing here? Like, this is not this was the spy thriller show. And we're just going to with big emotional stakes and character arcs and, and all of that. And we're just boiling it down to two Super Scrolls got to fight. And I feel like this show set itself up to do. And I don't want to say more than that. I'm not trying to demean or discount the superhero versus supervillain superpower fight. I love that stuff. It's awesome. I just don't feel like that was the story they were building to, and that was the climax they were building to over the course of this show. And there were a lot of other directions that that they could have gone that would have been more interesting and I, I think would have been a better fit for the show that they were building through the first three episodes. So when we finally get to all of this, and I know, of course, we get the emotional moment at the end, Gravik saying, you're just like your father. And then, of course, uh, just like all of them, whatever. And Gaia gets to respond by firing the blast through Gravik's chest and, and killing Gravik. It's fine. It looks cool. It just doesn't mean anything to me. That That's it. Like, mm. I, can, I can say it looks cool and I can acknowledge that, but it doesn't. I I, I feel nothing for that as a viewer of this story. Man, I love this fight. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> I mean, you, were, you I knew you knew would. It. Yeah, I do. I, I as soon as it happened, I'm like, God damn it, Sean. Why have to be so right? Because uh, you know, I want to. I want to try to upset. You know me. I can't lie. I, I just. I'm. I am me to a fault. Whether whether it be for better or for worse. And 
as it's happening, I'm like, I gotta love this. Yeah. <laughs> I can so, well look. I can objectively say, well, I don't know if there's any objectivity happening, yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> in one on one hand, I can say it looks cool, a very cool fight scene, just not a cool fight scene that's a great match for this story. That was and they hadn't properly yeah. built to this. And I also think that the conflict between Gravik and Gaia. I appreciate that there was the tension that she was the mole and he was trying to figure that out and all of those things. There wasn't enough because it never felt like this, especially from Gravik's perspective, it never really felt like all of this was personal enough to where this is the confrontation. But that really goes into what I said about the talking part of this scene, that ultimately these are not the characters who had their rivalry, their conflict properly built up to get us to this moment. If I cared more about this fight, because that's the other part of it. Like, that's the secret. Because it's not... If it was just about making cool fight scenes, Marvel could have that nailed every time out. But part of what right. makes the fight scenes cool, it's not just the visual aspect. It's what's at stake for the characters in that for scene. Sure. And I feel like that's where... Again, that's where you have good things... Similar to the last scene, where there's a great monologue. Well-written, well-acted, just like this fight scene. Cool stuff, cool visual effects... Cool use of the powers, all of that stuff. Mantis sleep and all that. Yeah, like there's some cool elements to this, but I don't actually, I haven't been put in a position to care about what's actually happening here. Well, and I think that's fair to an extent. I I, it did, I knew we were going to get some kind of secret, you know, Super Scroll fight because to me, it's, you have scrolls they're leading up to super scrolls guy obviously already taken the extremists sure so i'm like i'm like okay we're gonna get it just felt very much that's you know that's where we're gonna go which i was looking forward to and it didn't disappoint that aspect i i, I will say that i thought that was a pretty cool thing and i do have some questions but i think they're easily answered i mean like as far as because you know as far as like captain marvel i mean she's one of the most powerful members of like if anyone in the, in the Marvel universe, why wouldn't they just be in Captain Marvel mode on the reg? Like, that's the thing for me is like, what's, you know, what's the point? Yeah. But that, that being said, there has to be some kind of limitation to how much they can do one power at a time. So there has to be something like, I that. didn't see that. I mean, we saw them on their bodies. Like we saw them using multiple powers at the same well, time. Now, for I, a long time, I, yeah. Just Not, multiple powers at the same time, yes, but as for a long time, they could be drained themselves at some point. It, it seems like that seems like an, they haven't done that. They haven't explained that, but that's what I'm assuming. I just don't think we needed another Captain Marvel. I like. I appreciate that, and it's not to say that Gaia, as a character, or Amelia Clark, like I don't want her to have a future in the MCU. I do, but it's too much. I have, like I said, she's Captain Marvel plus she's Captain Marvel plus all this other stuff, including but, Thanos, who's obviously immensely powerful. So like there's stuff in this that it's just, it's too much. I, I feel like we don't need another character. Like I already didn't know how I felt about rogue stealing Carol Danvers's powers and having Captain Marvel powers and stuff. And, and when we eventually get into X-Men. But I would have been on board with that because that's a thing that actually happened in the comic books and there are interesting things you can do with it. But for Gaia to just get all of these powers, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, we haven't... Again, if this is what they were going to do with her by the end of this story, man, they should have been building her up more throughout this. And so that's why it's... When a character like this becomes... When a character becomes this powerful and has this hero moment this heroic battle 
we should have been on more of a journey with that character. We should have the ability to or be inspired to, and, and maybe you were if you're listening, and that's fine, but I definitely did not feel inspired to be cheering on Gaia and being really happy that she got powers because I've been on such a journey with her and I could not wait for this moment. That's not where this was. And so now, and it even, I, I it makes me question the very end of this. Like when, and I know jumping ahead, obviously, but the, the resolution to this for Gaia is that she's going to now team up with uh, Fallsworth, and they're going to use each other to keep human beings and scrolls safe. Okay, um, fine, but at this point, why does Gaia need Fallsworth? Like, at this point, why does Gaia need anyone with how powerful she is, just with the Captain Marvel powers alone? And so, like, when you... It's already enough of a question with what they're going to do with Captain Marvel of when you have a character who's this powerful, how do you manage that and are we building towards Gaia versus Carol Danvers I don't think so but maybe uh that could actually happen I, I'm really not sure but I just I don't know it I would rather find give a character some original powers that are also immensely powerful as opposed to let's just have uh the reason I've said super duper scroll is this is beyond super scroll in terms of the power level that has been established here and I just I'm I'm not a huge fan of it, at least right now, maybe over time. But I'm also this also begs the question with the way a lot of this story seemed to just rush itself off the board. Are they really planning on following up with Gaia? Because there's time to to kind of earn this after the fact and make it mean a little bit more to the audience. But are they actually going to take that time? I'm not sure. I mean, I know people yeah. are already joking about it. Like, you'll never see this character again in the MCU. I disagree. I'm not ready to. Disagree. I'm not ready to draw that conclusion. Uh, we certainly should when we know that there's a character this powerful just sitting out there in the MCU. But as I as I said, it's nothing against well, Amelia Clark, whom I love as an actor. It's nothing against uh, Gaia. The idea of Gaia as a character, especially somebody who was already introduced in the first Captain Marvel film. On those levels, there's a lot here that could definitely work. Unfortunately, though, this story did not ultimately give us enough of Gaia to make this moment, you know, look and feel the way that it should, at least the way I feel like it should as an audience member. Now, since, you know, since you kind of brought up the ending, I, I'm going to do all my Gaia stuff right now. Well, it might as well. Um, so I, I, I love the fight. And I, I, I did think it was cool. I think it was somewhat earned. I don't think it was earned the best, but I, I, I expected it. I liked it. I thought it was really cool. Um, I, I do think I, they have to go back and explain some of these powers. Now, when you go back to Gaia and, and everyone's like, we're going to see this character again, blah, blah, blah. And first of all, no, you're wrong. Because here's the thing. what They definitely are building up these... Uh, this character you know, and as uh, Fallsworth and also with Gaia and the very end, they talk about all this and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I know exactly where they're going with this. M, you know, M 13, the, the, that whole Marvel, you know, British super team that was over there and you have Captain Britain as a part of it. Um, you know, you also have, don't forget you have the black Knight who was a part of it that you have his whole storyline still dangling out there. 
And also, you know, you could go that, and those are obvious routes they could go to. Um, Union Jack could be another character they add to this whole thing. There's going to be a reason to have these characters, if not their own movie, Sean, but maybe go up against say, another team, like say Thunderbolts, if you will, something like that. Right. Um, there's there are reasons to have them not be their own movie. People think that if because they're set up, oh, it's good. You're never gonna see these people again. Show up in a movie, no one's gonna care. It's like, listen, like you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be your own movie. I, I I've said before because people are you know, crapping on the Blue Beetle all, all t- coming out already, and I'm like, let's just chill out on this. But re- when I I bring that up because I, I always want to go back to the Captain America of the First Avenger. Because it's, it, I love that movie to death. I've always loved it. It was a very modest, very modest hit. And by Hollywood standards, if it was not Marvel Studios in charge, but it was like a normal, stupid business, you know, people suits only listen to their, you know, what if, what makes dollar and cents, you know, predominantly, they would sit there and go, not worth investing more money into. Let's not worry about it and forget it. And what happened? You invested in these character, this character. You got a modest response. wasn't overwhelming by any means. And we all were there. I loved it, but it wasn't a giant hit. You get the Avengers bump, and then all of a sudden, Cap is on top of the world, and and is maybe one of his, the best, you know, superheroes in movie history at this point. I mean, you could argue it, you know, beside after Batman and Spider Man. Let's, you know, let's, but whatever. I digress. My point is, I don't, I'm not saying guy is next Captain America. But what I'm saying is you just don't know how they're utilized in another film later on. And then all of a sudden that, that that makes them that much more interesting and better. And I think there's potential with Gaia and Fallsworth being used in other films. Not I'm not saying their own film, but in other things that could really utilize them and go, oh, and uh, be instruments, if you will, or tools to be used and, and do different things and establish new threats. If you want to even talk about Gaia, her power level – I mean, even you could just write her out of the whole thing with uh, her thing with, with Fallsworth and have her go right up to space and have her fight, you know, for the scrolls that we'll fight. We'll talk about here in a second. So, yeah, I mean, that's my other thing is why. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I get because we don't the story doesn't tell us enough. Like, we don't know how Gaia feels about all, all of this other than she goes along right. with Fallsworth's plan. But I think that. The, the question that I would have is the logical one you just pointed out is why not go out into space? Like, why not try for a moment because you're super fast now with your Captain Marvel powers? Why not try to succeed where they failed? Go find another home for the scrolls. Or again, if the goal for Gaia is, look, we're we want a home on Earth that she believes in that. Like, that's the part of Gravik's mission. Didn't necessarily believe in killing all humans to make it happen, but yeah, believes that scrolls should have a home on Earth. I, I guess that that's the motive that we'll have to go ahead and, and buy into for now, but I, I'm still questioning what exactly she needs Sonia Fallsworth for. But you know, that's obviously something that you can revisit, that she went along with this to kind of hear Fallsworth's pitch and see if maybe that would be an effective route to go. And then she can obviously decide at any point, either, yes, this is working towards... Uh, the conclusion that the resolution that I want and that I find acceptable for myself and, and the scrolls. But um, if at any point she feels like that's not working, then she has the ability to go about it her own way. And of course she has a level of power that her father never had in terms of the ability. If there's a decision that we need to go uh, a different direction to immediately have the ability to do it. So I'm okay with it. I, I, I mean, I, 
I'm certain things I'm not okay with it, but as I said, after the fact, they can certainly make good on more of this. But I am a little curious to see how much follow through we get on this. Is Gaia going to show up in the Marvels or is she not? And I think that that is it's a really interesting question in terms of if and when we'll see Gaia. And I think part of the reason why there's some speculation why we wouldn't is some of that is fans being like, I didn't like this and I don't want to see any more of it. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, there mm-hmm. is that. But there is also this other practical thing of the MCU after a period of aggressive expansion uh, for uh, <laughs> you know, for you know, stealing lines from Dark Knight. But that after this period, they are slowing down. There will not be as many stories being told per year as there have been for these past few years. And so inevitably, that results in fewer characters popping up and, and fewer characters getting to see their stories continue on and, and followed through in these big ways. I mean, I... Guy is so powerful that it would be so weird for the MCU to just never acknowledge her existence again. So I hope that they don't do that. But in terms of whether or not we're going to get a huge follow through on this and another big storyline, not necessarily in their own thing, but even as part of somebody else's story. I, I genuinely don't know. I'm not I'm not even offering a prediction on whether or not we're going to see that. But I certainly understand why there would be some skepticism. That's not just fans saying, I don't like this and don't want to see any more of it. But yeah, I the whole Super Scroll angle, I was on board with it. And I did uh, agree with you that there was going to be inevitably there had to be some sort of confrontation and a Super Scroll related uh, confrontation. But I was kind of hoping that it would be as part of the spy games. And I don't really think that's what happened here. And I think even the way it was staged really was more. Let's just give these uh, these scrolls more powers and then have them have an even bigger fight when even with the even with the abilities that they each already had, there would have been the opportunity to have uh, a super scroll fight. So that creative decision, I don't love it as of right now, but I fully acknowledge that they're if they so decide to go back to this and revisit it that hopefully they can, you know, they can make this better after the fact. And that happens sometimes in the MCU. So I'm not I'm not writing this off as a, a total yeah. fail that they can't recover from. It just the Super Scroll fight ultimately the way it was presented, not uh, what I thought the most satisfying version of that could have been. Um, or certainly whatever they did present wasn't necessarily uh, satisfying from from my standpoint. But I know there's a, a lot more episode. Well, not that much more, but. Um, mm. Meanwhile, while all of this action was happening on New Skrullos, uh, where we were seeing Fallsworth, I know we jumped ahead to where she ends up, but I, I will really quickly just reiterate Olivia Coleman as Sonia Fallsworth. Absolutely, especially now, uh, MVP of this show. Um, and I absolutely want to see more of this character. So if that means teaming up with Gaia, if that means going after Don't Call Her Val, whatever that means. More Olivia Coleman as Fallsworth in the MCU. Uh, she is fantastic, and she was in this because in the hospital side of this, again, we're cutting back and forth between the action on New Skrullos and this hospital sequence where Fallsworth, and of course, Rhodey doesn't know that Fallsworth know what Fallsworth knows about Rhodey. So Fallsworth warns Rava Rhodey that Fury is coming to move the president now. Meanwhile, the uh, strike on New Skrullis in Russia is being carried out under orders from the president. And then Fallsworth pulls a gun on Rhodey after he's checking the rooms, but he didn't check behind the doors and says, no checking behind the doors. You really are a Skrull. 
Fury then arrives and tells the president the truth about Ravarodi. Fury is briefing the president on all of it with what's been going on with Skrulls, telling him to call off the strike. The president doesn't know who to believe until Rhodey grabs Fallsworth's gun, uh, gun, so then Fury shoots and kills Rava Rhodey, and of course Rava Rhodey just becomes Rava, a deceased Skrull, which the president sees and then calls off the strike. So, as I said, there's a lot of editing here that's trying to make these sequences feel bigger. Not so hard to do um, in terms of at least the scale of it, a massive Super Skrull fight. That's obviously a big scene, but it's really the editing that's trying to make this scene feel tense because there's very little that happens here. Fallsworth tells Rhodey to get the president out, and then there's a confrontation in the hallway, and it's over very, very quickly. And so this being the the moment for Fury, this being kind of the the climax of Fury from a plot standpoint, I know obviously we're talking more meaningful resolution for Fury and his romance with Vara as the episode continues. But this scene I thought played really, really flat. And this felt like something that I I don't know if this was something that was the way they originally shot it, or if this was something that was reshot and added for clarification or whatever. This just felt, I mean, small is fine because I, I was fine with this being a smaller scale show, but there's just not enough that happens in this scene. And I don't think that the Fury, Rava, Rhodey, and that rivalry wasn't, even though we, they had some scenes together that were really, really good, I still don't think that added up to being, that's the main confrontation for Fury. And even then, there's no perspective here. It's just Fury explaining to the president what's going on and then having to take Rava, Rhodey out. That's it. That's all that really happens here. So in terms of a lot of the other emotional conflicts and arcs for Nick Fury, the only one that's paid off is the one with Vara. Everything else is set to, to the side. And that's not to say that the plot line with, uh, with Vara wasn't worth paying off. It totally was. And I'm glad that they did it. But there was also a lot of other stuff going on with Fury that this one, that this episode just kind of blatantly ignored. And, and this sequence was just way too short, <laughs> over way too fast to really have anything that could even have a chance of resonating. Yeah. I this was this was not very, my favorite part by any means. When you have this intercut with the whole scroll fight, it like you said, the editing really tried to make it build it up to to have it be mean something. And they did I mean, have the it, editing did a good job of playing on the urgency of like, okay, if if Fury right. doesn't convince the president, the missile launch is going to happen and everything's going to be bad. World War Three, end of humanity, and all of that. So like, yeah. The, that part of it worked, but it was still the it was the it was still the juxtaposition, which there's not because this would have been presumably how it was written. So there's not really a way to they right. did the best they could in terms of editing this together. But having the this very, very small hallway confrontation against this very, very big super scroll thing, it could work if there was more to the hallway confrontation. I don't mean in terms of violence. I don't mean in terms of another fight. But right. it it desperately needed more dialogue. It desperately it needed more than what it was given. Yeah, and I I think that there's yeah there just wasn't a lot to chew on. Again, that I could talk about that slice of ham. You know, it's a very thin slice of meat we got here. You can and just it, tell that like we're recording this show over lunchtime because Paul just keeps coming back. I I I'm not even that hungry. Paul's hungry. 
I well, I I'm not I'm not even really that hungry. I I honestly I didn't like the analogy because we kind of when we go because the whole meal analogy is a great thing. Also, to, we're you, totally gonna lose our our ham enthusiast listeners. So okay, listen, I'm not a ham guy. I'm just not a ham uh, guy. I'm I'm a big ham guy. But if I'm you know, right. but if I'm ordering like a big honey baked and like I think what you're comparing to is like somebody just plops down one little thin deli slice Eggs, on the plate. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, where, yeah, where's yeah. my ham? Yeah, exactly. So that's the thing is I think that. The food analogies work in this in this case because when we, especially with the season finales, with films, is we want the whole thing to be meat. If if you're no, if you're a vegetarian like my wife, I you want it to be something that's going to be protein and fill you up. You get what I'm saying. So the thing is, you want to leave satisfied, and it's just this. They built up, you know, with Rhodey and these episodes, Rava Rhodey, which I love that name by the way. Um, it's just it's just not it's just not very. But how they built this, this epic comeback of Nick Fury, it's just kind of very like, oh, okay. It's just it's just not the, what we want. It's not what we kind of expected and wanted. And I thought there should have been a more intense battle. But again, they try to wrap things up, which is probably again my, my biggest criticism of the series of a whole is that it's not. This is not the worst series of like to me. I I don't think it's the worst series. I if I think off the top of my head, I don't know which one would be. Maybe it would be. I don't know. But uh, it's not, it is. For me, anyway, it yeah, is. Yeah, if you can in live action, I'd say, yeah, this is not the greatest. Oh, but I'll take I'll take what if over this any day. So um, that's fair. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I, I it's not. Listen, it's but I wouldn't say it's the worst thing ever either. It's just it's just it's just it loses itself at the later half of the series, and the season this this part with Fury itself, like you said, very anticlimactic. Could have been better, and it just makes you kind of go. It, it ends way too fast. Just, just say it bluntly. It's end yeah. too fast. Yeah, it's pretty much over as quickly as it begins. So um, immediately after uh, the strike's been called off, everything is sort of fine. Not really, though, as we'll see. So Gaia goes and frees everyone, including Rhodey, not Rava Rhodey, but Rhodey Rhodey, in a hospital gown. Uh, how long? And we see Agent Ross, because, of course, we saw Everett Ross at the very beginning of this series. How long have you been in here? And then, of course, Rhodey, based on the injury sustained in Civil War, um, needs help being uh, carried out. Uh, we also see that uh, the Prime Minister, is Pamela, Pamela Lawton, is also freed during this sequence, which sets up uh, some of the impacts happening later on. Uh, meanwhile, the President delivers a speech declaring war on all off-world-born species, declaring them enemy combatants. And telling them uh, to camera, we will kill every last one of you. And then we'll finish up by talking about uh, Fury and Vara. Although I will say, um, well, let's talk about, let's, while we're on the subject of the president, before we get to Rhodey, let's jump ahead a little bit and just cover that very quickly. So Fury uh, obviously doesn't take too kindly to the, the president's speech. So later in the episode, we see Fury on, a, on the phone with the president uh, talking about how it was such a hateful speech saying it's one-term president stuff. And meanwhile, we see the consequences that Fury is explaining to the president. We see the scroll version of Chris Stearns, the news host being played by Christopher McDonald, being shot. We see the prime minister, who was no longer a scroll because the actual human version of herself was freed, but no, the vigilante who shot her did not know that, so it's an innocent human death. And then we see Shirley Sagar, who was one of the scroll council uh, that we saw uh, back in, I think that was episode two. Uh, we see her successfully defend herself, but that means that there are some of those vigilantes getting themselves killed uh, in the process of attacking her. 
And so uh, Fury's telling the president to call off his war. Meanwhile, the president responds with, if you truly care about the Skrulls, get them off my planet. So, um, yeah, this is a, a weird story choice in, in my estimation, that here is Fury giving a speech to the president about how obviously and immediately bad this is, and we see examples of the loss of life that is occurring, and Fury is making the choice that now's as good a time as any. Now that this mess has happened, and I've played my part in making this mess, granted he's not Gravik, but Fury's done a lot to make to turn Gravik into who he was and the decisions that he made, and on some level, Fury owns that, even if it's not him saying it uh, in the conversation between Gaia and Gravik earlier in this episode. It's kind of weird for Fury to acknowledge how bad things are here on Earth right now and then just leave. And I know you can make the argument that that's what Fury is trying to do, is that Fury is trying to help the Skrulls get out, get off of Earth, and that's going to be the way that he saves the Skrulls. That's going to be the way that he protects everybody because he's going up to work on these peace talks between the Kree and the Skrulls. Okay, that's fine, but I do feel like Nick Fury's response to a president declaring war on off-world species that's leading to a lot of innocent human and Skrull deaths, I feel like Nick Fury does more in that case than a, a half-hearted attempt, well, maybe not half-hearted, but still just a meager attempt at shaming the president into calling off a war, which at that point, it's kind of too late anyway. I feel like Nick Fury probably does more. Like, don't introduce a situation that bad and say the situation is that bad at the end of your series while telling us the hero is headed in another direction. I feel like there needed to be um, there needed to be something there. And and, I, and maybe this is just me being too cynical about it, but the most meaningful thing from the MCU going forward on that really is, I mean, the peace talks that will obviously play, presumably play into the Marvels, but then just Fury calling him a one-term president just sets up Ross being president in, Captain Amer- in the next Captain America movie. Like, it's not even about how bad of a thing this president just did and how bad the situation is now. Like you've introduced immediate da- new immediate danger onto Earth. Now's not the time to take off with the only resistance to this immediate danger. The only obstacle you're putting in front of it is one 30-second conversation with the president who's already who's obviously not on board with what you're suggesting. Well, yeah, uh, this one's kind of hard for me because, uh, yeah, the whole one-term president, that's one per, that's a one-term president yeah. thing or whatever. I was like, okay, I see what you're doing yeah, here. You might you know? as well have said, you know, Mr. Mulroney, you only have a contract for one MCU series. Like, yeah. I, I just it was so blatant with the way that he said that. I think a certain thunderbolt might be coming your way. Um, so, you know, I, I the speech was really weird. Th- that was so. That was an interesting. Take yeah, like in where does the president's hate for the scrolls immediately come <laughs> from? Like I, I mean, yeah. granted, we have numerous examples of people hating other people without sufficient Hell, cause or reason to sure. hate them. Like sure, okay, but I just I don't. Yeah, that. <laughs> There was no indication that this president was like that kind of guy. Um, so like mm-hmm. that kind of comes out of nowhere for him. Granted, we hardly know this guy, but um, right. yeah, it, it just felt very abrupt. But I'm 
I'm more concerned with Fury's response to it or lack thereof than I am, yeah. you know, the president. Because well, it's one it's one thing to say things might get bad here when you're saying stuff like that. No, you're showing us the example of people right. dying, and like no, it, there's an immediate danger that Fury isn't really helping to sell, isn't really helping to solve at least not in a, not in an immediate way, which. Given how Fury's last 30-year plan failed, I think we need to see a little bit more urgency in how Fury is going about protecting the scrolls whom he's used and benefited from uh, for mm-hmm. these past few decades. So I don't know. I, I really did not love uh, I, I really did not love that choice. I, it, it stood out in a bad way to me. So I I will say, even though I, Nick Fury is being like, look what you've done. Like it, that make, I totally get the criticism of like, why isn't, you know, he's part the blood is on his hands somewhat. Um, I'm going to, I kind of, I like the idea of like what this kind of represents. It, it was an interesting take of having those vigilantes come in and start killing all the scrolls and like innocent people and not, not like cool, but like, it was an interesting idea to think about how the scrolls have been replaced and how what that means and the ramifications. It just felt it felt kind of like maybe that would really happen in real life, to be quite honest. I, you know, I appreciate that. But because that's a thing that can happen in real life and in some instances has happened in real life, obviously Fair not enough, in yes. the heightened terms of the MCU. Mm-hmm. But um, you it's not the kind of subject matter that you should cover in about 37 seconds. That's fair. That and is fair. If you want to go there and get into the meaning of those subjects and the real dangers that they represent, I think that is perfectly fruitful ground for storytelling and, and stories that that should be told and, and all of that. And I'm not saying the MCU is not a place where you can tell stories like that, where you can cover that sort of ground I I absolutely believe that the MCU is a place where you can do it, but that's not what this story was. And that's not the and you can't just look over there for a few seconds and then look back to the other MCU of it all. Like, I, I think that is that's the part of it that I uh, that's my biggest problem with it is, again, that same thing of this could be very meaningful and compelling storytelling with very you know real world value. It could be there. But you're not giving it that. You're not even trying to give it that. You're just hinting in that direction and then saying Fury's on to other things. So that's the... And if Fury was like in the loop with the whole Fallsworth and Gaia thing, but as far as we know, he doesn't necessarily know about that. So, you know, it's not like he's he's the one telling Gaia, like, you'll be able to hold it down on Earth while I go try to find another place for you guys to live or uh, handle these peace talks. So that's... Some of the things that are happening here in this finale are so disconnected from each other. And so that's part of why it's harder for me to just fill in blanks for the benefit of the show to make it make more sense for myself. I can't give it that credit because it's not even giving me it's not even giving me enough pieces to actually put them together. This puzzle is missing a lot of pieces and and some pretty important ones uh, to connect this whole picture. And it's not that's just the way that I don't know, as I said, that one. I don't like it from a Nick Fury perspective. I like it even less on the real world implications and parallels because, again, that's that's too important of subject matter to just breeze over as I feel like this does. So anyway, uh, moving that's on. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. M- moving on to. Um, well, let's talk. We'll end with Rhodey. So let's talk about uh, Fury and Vara. The one plot line that this sure. does uh, resolve 
because there was the question before of did Fury ever really love Priscilla slash Vara or was it you know that he only ever loved the person that she presented herself as um, in order to build this life with him and in part of that was of course her working with the Skrulls so we see that uh, you know at, at different scenes we see Fury and Vara back in their home um, and so Fury there's that question that kind of lingers Fury does say he loves her, but he says, I love you, Priscilla. Um, but he is leaving, um, but she'll know where to find him if she forgives him. So we cut to later after the conversation with the president and all that stuff. Um, later, uh, Fury is there. He's about to be beamed back up to Saber. Vara is there, but now she insists, of course, on being called Vara. Um, and rightfully so, because that is her name. And Fury invites Vara to join him because he's going for these peace talks between the Kree and the Skrulls. And Fury needs her help with the peace summit because she's a great diplomat, better than he is. And she says that she'll go to help him get started, but her work is here on Earth, so she'll presumably be back on Earth at some point. And then she says, then she changed back into her scroll form. I just want to tell you I love you as I am. And Fury says, only as you are. And they kiss and they go to get beamed back up to Saber. I... I love this scene between the two of them because I think there was that uh, that question answering that question from a couple of episodes ago saying, I guess we'll never know. And then we and treating it as this hopeless thing. And now we actually get to see that happen. But I mean, the seeds of that hope were planted in the fact that they didn't shoot each other uh, in the previous episode. So I'm good with this. I'm good as a payoff to this story. We didn't get a whole lot of that for this series, but this is the one thing where I can say they introduced this concept of this relationship that Fury had, and thanks largely to Charlene Woodard's outstanding performance, you know, this character who came out of nowhere for us as an audience really gave this character a, a sense of history, and we did get some flashbacks to help show us that, not just tell us a bunch of things, but the information we got from her performance and then this moment between the two of them uh, I thought was really wonderful, so this was... I was disappointed that this was the end, not that this moment was the end, but just that this finale was the end of the series because it wasn't satisfying. But this this final moment of the finale, um, I, I did enjoy between Fury and Vara. I thought this was great. The one thing I would say that, that was really stuck out to me that it felt very 80s with like the ship in the background and with the, with the highlights of the lights coming back at them. It just felt very 80s like inspired, which I love anything eighties. I'm just going, we're going to love, you know, eighties films. And so, um, yeah, this was easily the most interesting aspect of the show. And I thought that was, they ended it well. And I liked it. I like the fact they ended it with, I love the Nick Fury, Mary scroll. I think that's great. And I thought their relationship is what made the show actually worth watching. If it wasn't for this storyline, this show would not be, any worth looking at watching again. And I, I liked this aspect of it. It's legitimately a very good story that they, these actors brought out and thought a lot of their, their scenes together together were pretty well written. So I like the storyline. I like the fact that we're probably going to see her in the Marvels. And uh, it's going to be interesting what happens with, with the scrolls in the Cree. I do think Gaia could play a part in that at some point, at some point. So you know, throw it out there. Um, yeah. I thought this was really cool and really and a very uh, very nice uh, sensitive moment that I it was nice to see that was, I thought was very earned to use your 
one of your like, favorite things to say is earn it, you know? So yeah, earning you get? things is good. Um, no, I agree. Well, I, and yeah, I, I the, say, yeah. Yeah. And I think the whole Cree scroll peace talks, maybe that's what, uh, Darben as the antagonist as Cree, um, is maybe interrupting as, as part of the stakes for the Marvels who knows, but yeah, I presume we'll see Vara maybe not necessarily having a massive role in that film, but popping up in there, uh, somewhere. But yes, I enjoyed this, this was the one storyline throughout Secret Invasion that I thought was actually pretty well done throughout and actually got a, 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 a solid, a strong resolution by the end of this series. So I, I very much appreciate this storyline and, and want to give, uh, want to give that credit. Now let's talk about, let's finish by talking about Rhodey. See, we made you wait all the way to the end before we talk about Rhodey and what this means. So going back to the revelation of he's in a hospital gown. And when did we last see Rhodey in a hospital gown? Well, that gown looks like the one that he was wearing after he was injured in Captain America Civil War. And therefore, Rhodey has definitively been a Skrull since Captain America Civil War, meaning he was a Skrull in Avengers Infinity War, in Avengers Endgame, when he said goodbye to a dying Tony Stark. I know he didn't say it verbally, he said it with his eyes, but it still counts. And so that moment between Rhodey and Tony, that was with Rava Rhodey. That wasn't the real Rhodey. And then, of course, the scene between uh, Sam Wilson and Rhodey in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which was uh, such a wonderful scene between those two. And, And we already talked about how we wouldn't even want that altered. This show very intentionally did not give a definitive answer. And it's interesting because Kevin Feige mentioned that they would answer it during the show, but they didn't. And then the director, Ali Salim, I've seen interviews, uh, one where he's asked if it's Civil War, just says, yep. But then I think it was an interview with comicbook.com where actually expanded on that saying, in his mind, uh, in uh, Ali Salim's mind, Rhodey has been a scroll since Captain America Civil War, but also even acknowledges that it's not actually definitive in the show, almost as if it's up to the audience at this point. It's not really up to the audience, although maybe it can or should be. More on that in a moment. Um, but it is open to interpretation for right now. A hospital gown is, as I tweeted, uh, it, is a, it is an intentionally generic, non-committal choice. Rhodey, that could be the gown he was wearing uh, when we saw him in the hospital in Captain America Civil War. It could that, be one he wears before a colonoscopy. Who knows? It, that's what I said. That's what I tweeted. <laughs> like It could have been, because look, people of a certain age, a colonoscopy is a very routine uh, preventative procedure that has a lot of value. So maybe it was just time for Rhodey to get his colonoscopy. Maybe it was... Um, some other operation that he had because he was from injuries he sustained in the Battle of Earth in Avengers Endgame. We don't actually know, and the story does not provide a definitive answer. A director saying, well, in my mind, it's this, but while also acknowledging that it's not definitive, even if the director said it's since Civil War, the story has not made that canon. The story itself has not certified that as canon, which I would say is kind of an indication, though, of some lack of conviction in this story. It it really, the fact that they didn't have it, like, the question is literally expressed in this. How long have you been here? Or whatever whatever Ross says to Rhodey. The question is literally left hanging. There is no answer to 
the question. And I don't believe a generic hospital gown serves as an answer to that question. So I am critical of it in the sense that if you're willing to make this choice to say that you're backdating Rhodey's days as a scroll, you should probably say it in the show, especially if Kevin Feige is talking on, you know, an interview on Marvel.com saying that the answer is going to be there. And I, but I don't think the hospital gown counts as, as the definitive answer. I, I really don't, especially when after we see the hospital gown, we still get the question being literally asked by one of the characters by uh, by Ross. So it's not definitive. What I will say is that I sure hope that when we next see Rhodey, and presumably that's when, I don't know if that's Armor Wars, I don't know if that's uh, some other appearance from Rhodey somewhere else in the MCU, What is he going to show up again in Cap 4, is he going to show up in Thunderbolts, wherever Rhodey appears next in the MCU, I think we would get the, the answer to that question, and I certainly hope and I will continue to hope that the answer to that question is not that Rhodey has been a scroll since Civil War, because this points to the problem with secret and in- the inherent problem from my perspective in Secret Invasion all along before when it was just even a question from listeners of would you want to see Marvel adapt Secret Invasion? Generally, my answer was no, or it didn't really mean I wasn't a big fan of the comic book, so I didn't care if they ever did it. But if they did, this is the thing that I worry about is most of the time a thing comes out and it's if even if it's part of the MCU and you love the MCU, if it's bad, okay, it's bad and you just don't like that one and you move on. This is a and usually it doesn't get a chance to reach back and impact previous stories that you liked. But this is an example where that does happen. I don't need Secret Invasion, especially the way this show ended. It doesn't deserve this. It is not worthy of altering any of the previous moments from the MCU. It really is not. It doesn't deserve, this is not a story that Endgame does not deserve to be altered because of what happened in this ultimately subpar series of Secret Invasion. It also isn't necessary. It's not going to add anything. I've seen some people trying and, uh, you know, and they believe that it's that it will be interesting for Rhodey to explore that he missed all these things. He missed the death of his friend Tony Stark and all of that. None of that's interesting enough in my mind to justify altering these moments because you know who doesn't get to react to that? Tony. And so as people pointed out when Endgame came out, that moment of Rhodey looking at Tony and how the blocking of that and how the composition of that shot was very similar to Rhodey as played by Terrence Howard finding Tony Stark in the desert in Afghanistan in the very first movie and how that visual was set up to be a match. It's that moment. It's those friends. And I, I know some people say, well, he didn't even say anything to Tony. He didn't need to say anything to Tony. Tony could barely speak at that point. So Rhodey's sharing that moment with Tony between those two friends. And what would be the motivation for Rava to do that? Rava as a scroll who's been deceiving these people the whole time just has earned enough respect in that moment. Uh, it doesn't. It just doesn't add up, and I, I don't want it to remove these moments. I, we even talked about it before. I don't even want it to take away the moment with Sam in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but it, I definitely don't want it to touch uh, Avengers Endgame. It just doesn't make sense. And as people have pointed out, Rhodey bleeds red, not purple, in Avengers Endgame. There are just practical continuity issues with it. There are practical clues. And I also want to give a shout out to one of our uh, listeners, Caleb, who I was uh, chatting with on on our Instagram. 
pointing out that, well, didn't Gra- whenever Gravix, like if Rava was working for Gravik, Gravik apparently wasn't going rogue. Gravik was still working for Nick Fury um, until up until after Avengers Endgame. So why would is was Gravik already having Rava be Rhodey even before that? I mean, I guess that's possible because it seems like the the situation between Fury and Vara started before that. So there may have been, you know, that Gravik was already Gravik or uh, and or other scrolls were already deceiving Fury and others even before the final battle with Endgame when Fury still thought that everybody was was on their side. So it is possible, but there are other practical reasons why it, it just doesn't make sense. And it doesn't alter those stories in any way that's good. It doesn't alter Avengers Endgame or Infinity War or the Falcon Winter Soldier in any way that makes those stories better. We don't need a not good story in Secret Invasion to take to take anything away from great stories like Avengers Endgame, Avengers Infinity War. Granted, Rhodey's role in Infinity War is smaller, but he's still there. Um, like We just don't need those things being altered. There's no reason to do that. So while I generally am opposed to the idea of fans guiding creative decisions for Marvel Studios, Marvel made a choice here to not make a choice. They very intentionally chose to not definitively say when Rhodey turned. So if they're still making up their mind about that, then maybe they might want to consider the fan backlash. Because in this case, I think it's well warranted. There's nothing wrong with fans saying, we love these stories and we love this character in these stories and we don't want that change. We don't need you telling us that that wasn't what we thought we saw or what we knew we saw when we were watching it just to uphold your non-committal decision in this series that a lot of us, turns out, don't really like very much. So there is no definitive word on it right now in story, which is the only place that counts when we're talking about the canon. It is still TBD when exactly Rhodey was swapped out for Rava Rhodey, but my best guess is it's when we finally get that notification or when we finally get that confirmation, I'll be surprised if it loops in Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War. Even though Feige also said that there was there were times in the MCU where we saw Rhodey where it wasn't really him, I'll be surprised if he even sticks to that and we they alter that scene from the Falcon and the Winter Soldier I think it's much easier and it's creatively the right choice to just say Rhodey was taken some time between the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and, uh, and and the start of Secret Invasion. That's the only thing that makes the most sense to me. As I said, Secret Invasion, talking about earning things, Paul, Secret Invasion has absolutely not earned the right to or opportunity to alter anything from much better stories that came before it. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I agree. I, I don't think it's any definitive way that what's wrong with what's Rhodey and, and where he's at. I think it's very easily could be done anytime. And I think with the backlash and the lackluster reviews for Secret Invasion and the lack of love for the shit series as a whole, I think it's the the more the more the, the more further you're away from this and this aspect of, of for Rhodey, the probably the better. So I, I don't imagine much change. So I I, I I think you should rest assured it would be a complete, in my opinion, a complete New York Giants versus uh, for New England Patriots Super Bowl with the you know, with the, the catch of the century, uh, basically for him to be 
back in Civil War. I think they're going to retroactively make it be within the last like certain time frame where it won't affect any story that we've seen in the MCU. Because this is why I've always feared this in these things because it's happened in the comics. Hank Pym's been affected from it from the comic books, and I hate that aspect of it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Um, that being said, I yeah I uh, I I don't I'm not worried about it because I don't think it's going to be a big deal. I think it's going to be pretty much. Rody, all the things we saw Rody in will be fine, except for Secret Invasion, and that's what probably should happen. So, I yeah, I am not worried about it at all. I think I just I have more faith in Marvel Studios than that. Yeah, I uh, I also have more faith, despite you know how this show ended. Um, I have more faith in Marvel Studios than that. I do think they will make um, a better choice than saying than definitively saying. Uh, in story that Rody was taken during the time of Captain America: Civil War. Because I said, I just, I don't want any of those things changed. They really don't need to be, um, especially, and certainly not for the sake of this show. It, it's best that this show just get a chance for everybody to just move on from it in a way that minimizes the impact elsewhere, except for things not looking backward, but things that can move forward, perhaps in more interesting directions for some of these characters. But that's it for our Secret Invasion spoiler reviews. Obviously, the podcast, not this episode, but the podcast in general, We'll continue going and we'll have Loki season two coming up in a couple of months. But uh, I mean, we'll have certainly podcasts before that. But Mm -hmm. um, overall, Paul, just for to wrap up for Secret Invasion, I think I've covered it over the course of these episodes, especially this one. I I'm so disappointed. I'm just really disappointed by this finale. And I I wish that because there was so much promise I felt in those first three episodes. And I know not everybody agreed. I know not everybody thought that the first three episodes were as strong as, as maybe you and I did, but I thought they had something there. And I thought they had some really interesting opportunities on how to carry that story forward and, and pay it off in, in ways that would be very different than what we've seen in the MCU. And ultimately it just, it, it went off the rails in this completely other direction over the course of these last three episodes, culminating in this finale and I, I do think that overall, this these last three episodes, but it, but I don't want to revise what I said about four and five. I, I didn't love them, but we still, you know, they, they took turns. They took their own turn being my least favorite episode. But ultimately, I still thought there was something solid in each of those episodes. I can't say that for, uh, at least not from an overall perspective for this finale, some solid parts to it, but overall, um, really not satisfying. And so I... This finale, I think, is a real, just real misfire from Marvel Studios. I'm, I'm surprised by this because, again, I think they've done so much better in pretty much everything that they've done. This is probably my least favorite 37 minutes of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe at this point. I really did not like this finale, and it it really it does sour my impression of the the overall series. I, I still. I don't know. I presume I'll probably go back and, and watch some of my favorite moments from those previous episodes, but I am surprised at, at how this uh, at how this ended up. Um, it would have been one thing if people said the Secret Invasion finale was boring, because a lot of people said that about the first three episodes, and I disagreed with it. Um, this wasn't boring. It was just bad. Um, it just really didn't work on, on a lot of different levels, and it just failed to carry forward and, and ultimately pay off a lot of the great things that had been happening in this series. So it just feels, even though now we've seen all six episodes, it just goes down feeling really incomplete. 
Yeah, I I think I probably echo exactly what you're saying. I, I thought the first three episodes were really solid and really good, um, and then the last three just kind of, yeah, not 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 the best. I I I think the finale is better than the other two before it, but that's not saying a lot either necessarily. Um, but I still enjoyed it probably more than most people. But yeah, I, it, this was a disappointing series. There was a lot of potential I thought they set up that they never re- really fully paid off. Uh, I am not a big fan of scroll stories in general, so this was not always my favorite thing. But the only thing that had me excited about it was Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury. It's it, that's a always gonna get me excited. And I love Sam as an actor. I love Nick Fury as a character. So it's just like you know, it's a given for me to be excited about this. But wasn't what I wanted. I think there's still some really cool potential from it. There's going to be some big things from it that I think that are going to be cool. Like Fallsworth is a great character. I can't wait to see what she pops up again. And they should definitely use her because people loved her. She's definitely the standout character over even Gaia. Um, and I think Gaia has potential too, but I think there needs to be some work done. And I don't think we've seen the last of these characters by any stretch of the imagination. And not even in Secret Invasion. I think we're going to see them pop up. Probably, I think Thunderbolts will have these characters some way, one way or another. That's my that's my uh, idea anyway. But yeah, not my not my favorite show. I, if I had to rank the shows, I'm not sure where I'd go. I, I really need to do a rewatch one day. One day I'll re- have time to rewatch something in 20 years. But regardless, yeah. As opposed favorite. as I am to rankings, maybe we'll have to do that. I don't know. We'll yeah. see. We'll, <laughs> so. we'll see. But whatever. Either way, not my favorite. But hopefully, Loki season two will give us the goods. Yeah, I agree, and uh, I certainly share that same hope. I, I will just add one last piece to speaking of the great Olivia Coleman as uh, Sonia Fallsworth. I, I mentioned this before, and, and I really want to see it, but in terms of rankings, I need to offer it. So the number one battle I still want to see in the MCU of all battles is Hulk versus Thing. I've wanted to see it uh, in live action forever because it's my favorite hero versus hero fight and whatever. Um the next head-to-head battle that I want to see doesn't obviously presumably wouldn't necessarily be a physical battle is Fallsworth versus Don't Call Her Val. I need to see Olivia Coleman and Julia Louis-Dreyfus going head-to-head and battling. Sure, they could be allies on the same side. I think it would play uh, so much better and be so much more fun to see them battling each other with their opposing teams. Obviously, Fallsworth has the ringer right now with Gaia, depending on if whether or not that would still be a member of her team, but uh, that's a conflict I would love to see in the MCU, just to put those two uh, together um, on opposing sides. But anyway, yeah, Secret Invasion. This one ultimately did not uh, did not work for me, but I still think Marvel Studios does some really great stuff, and I'm no less excited about everything that is still on the way, starting with Loki Season 2. So very, very excited about the MCU. This is not some sort of pile-on where just because I didn't like this one Marvel Studios thing it's now uh, clouding my view of, of everything MCU. That certainly is not the case. I still love the MCU just as much as ever, even if I have to call out those rare instances like this one uh, in which there was uh, some disappointment. But anyway, that is where we will wrap up this edition of the podcast. Thank you all so much for following along with us as we were watching and reacting to and reviewing Secret Invasion. I uh, really do appreciate that. And all the times that you check in and listen to us here on MCU Fan Show, please make sure you check out Fan Show Plus, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, or on Apple Podcasts if you search for the MCU Fan Show channel or Fan Show Plus, you can find it there and subscribe. Follow us at MCU Fan Show on Twitter slash X um, threads and Instagram. 
Uh, also, make sure to uh, be sure to leave an Apple podcast review if you haven't already. If you have, thank you very much. Really appreciate the difference you've helped make for our show. Uh, Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on tw- or X, Twitter, whatever the hell it's called now, at <laughs> Herman22, uh, two ends, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, go please check out my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. Uh, this week, we'll be going over some IDW Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle ongoing series comics, which I'm going to say right here, right now, are my favorite Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics. And that is saying something, considering where they come from, from the original uh, Eastman and Laird uh, days. Or those, And I call those masterpieces. So if you wonder what the hell I'm talking about, this week, I'm going to be diving into a bunch of that stuff. Excited for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, Mayhem that comes out this next week as well. So go check that out, and I really appreciate it. And you can follow me at Mr. Sean Gerber on Instagram, threads, and Twitter slash X. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.